Welcome back to Pillar of Truth, where we are in the middle of a series of messages entitled The Real Story of Marriage. Today, as we continue to look into the practical side of things, you're going to hear Travis encourage us to watch our own lives, to see our own sin, before we turn and point out the sin in our spouse. In regard to thinking about the family, Martin Luther once said, It is impossible to keep peace between man and woman in family life if they do not overlook each other's faults. But if they watch everything to the smallest point, for who does not at times offend? Things must be overlooked. Very many things must be ignored that a peaceful relation may exist. As you listen today, be sure you are quick to focus on your own sins. Let's listen today with a heart to correct ourselves first and not to point a finger at our spouse. Just as Jesus taught us to take the log out of our own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your neighbor's eye. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 20 says, in contrast to the Gentile way of living, says that is not the way you learn Christ. There is nothing from that world that has anything that pertains to this life, this world now that has nothing to do with Christ. Assuming, verse 21, that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's actually more present tense. So be being renewed in the spirit of your minds and then to put on the new self. Verse 24, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, they are new creations in Christ. This new self, verse 24, is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So in other words, that is to say what Adam lost in the fall, Christ fulfilled, Christ restored for us, and Christ renews that image in us by the indwelling Holy Spirit, by the power of the word, and he fulfills that in us. This regenerated life, the born again person, he's put off the old self. He's being renewed in the spirit of his mind. He has put on the new self. This outlines true repentance. It starts verse 20 and verse 21 by hearing and understanding the truth. It's truth that does the work. It's truth that provokes. It's truth that comes in, convicts. It gives us understanding. It illuminates the mind. It helps us to have understanding. So we're not ignorant, but we're actually informed. Understand the truth. And then second, put off the old self. Put off the old self. As soon as we understand the truth, we're like, get rid of that. That is not helpful. Everything I learned from the world, everything I learned my upbringing from the world is garbage. Throw it away. Put off the old self. And then be being renewed in the mind. That is to continue to understand what was wrong with this thing you're mortifying and what it is to put on in its place and then put on the new self. That is the pattern for repentance. That's actually the pattern of everybody who initially repents and comes to Jesus Christ initially for salvation. That is the same pattern that is to be worked out through the rest of the life. That's the practice of Christian marriage as well. It's a practice of any relationship. So several points of practical counsel to give you for husbands and wives in the practice of marriage. And for those of you who are not married at this time, just consider these as points of counsel for the practice of repentance in your life. First, you start with the truth. Understand the power of the truth to renew your mind, 
and change or transform your life. Verse 20, hearing about Jesus, that's the truth. Being taught the truth in Jesus, that is critical for repentance. It is vital for growth and godliness. So avail yourselves of the regular means of grace. Listen to the ministry of the word. Come near for the discipline and the ordinance of the local church. Attend to the word of God. Learn from the gifted shepherds. Watch your heart and be sure that you're worshiping God, that you're obedient to Christ, and you're attuned to the growth and maturation of the Spirit's fruit in your life. Another point of counsel for marriages. Number two, let's talk about making some proper assumptions. I won't enumerate them, but just start by assuming that the power of the gospel that's at work in your life is also at work in your spouse. Your job in marriage is to live your Christianity, practice your spiritual life, and trust that God is working in hers or his as well. Don't try to confront everything you see. Don't try to fix everything you see in the other person. Realize God loves your spouse more than you do. He saved your spouse. He's working on him or her. Your spouse's growth, that's his responsibility to work out before the Lord. That's her responsibility to work out before the Lord. So be patient with your Christian spouse. Let the process of sanctification happen. Occupy yourself primarily with your own repentance, your own sanctification. And in love, be mindful of one another's progress and maturity. Be one another's encouragers, prayer partners. At times, you are going to need to step in and confront. If you're not married to a Christian, pray. Learn to wait well. Even if you're not married to a Christian, listen, God has still given you the gift of marriage, the gift of companionship, the gift of a protecting, providing husband who cares for you, the gift of a helpmeet and a wife who loves you, who wants to serve you. So pray for her, pray for him and learn to wait well. Enjoy that good gift of marriage because marriage is a good gift, no matter if the partners in that marriage are saved or not. Any suffering that you endure for the sake of Christ, look, James 1, 2 to 4, consider it all joy, right? There's a lot more to say on that. Just need to move on. Another assumption you can make about one another, about your spouse, comes from verse 24. Assume that you are new in Christ and that he or she is new in Christ. And your spouse's fundamental nature is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Men, assume your wife is trying to help you, that she is not trying to hurt you. She's not trying to intentionally irritate you with anything. Women, assume that your husband loves you, even if he provides contrary evidence. Assume that he loves you, even if his words seem hurtful in the moment. Stands to reason we're going to see the old self show up from time to time. That happens in marriage. The more you look past an outward offense, the more you trust in what your eyes can't see in the moment. That is that God is in fact doing a good work in you and in your spouse. But he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. If you'll make that the working assumption in your home, your working assumption about your spouse it will make a remarkable difference, trust me. Men, assume your wife's best intentions for you because she's created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. That'll help you repent of impatience and anger. Women, assume that the same thing your husband, and that'll lead you to repenting of your own fear and worry and anxiety. A third point of counsel here is, let's set proper expectations about the process of change. Change takes time. Since you understand the formative power of your marriage that God instilled into it by his design, embrace that, practice that. That is to say, maybe take the long view of marriage. Don't try to get it all done this month or next month. Know that you've got, by God's grace, 
he's merciful if he allows. We've got years together. More will be done over time imperceptibly to you. And it's best to look at it, even your own spiritual condition and your own progress in sanctification and your marriage. It's best to look at it in hindsight. Five years into the future, look back and see what has God done over all that time. So be patient with the process. Take the long view. Know that God is working, whether you perceive that or not. Do what you can to slow down the pace of your life, the pace of your pursuit, so you can enjoy it. Also, be gracious with each other. Just exercise patience, meekness, gentleness. Practice forgiveness quickly. Mortify sin, as we said in verses 17 and 19. Practice repentance, verses 20 to 24. And that's going to take a lifetime, isn't it? to mortify all the sin, to practice repentance, take the long view. When it's necessary to deal with one another's sins, do so in the gentlest, most patient, kindest manner that you can. But quite honestly, there's a lot that you can let go. Further, since you understand the formative role of the institution of marriage, learn to recognize and appreciate and rejoice in the difference of God's design in each one of you. Rejoice in that difference. Men and women really are different not just biological differences, but it's matters of perception. It's matters of perspective. It's in matters of feeling and reasoning, which means what is intuitive to one is not intuitive to the other. Those are differences that are not there to irritate one another. They're there to appreciate one another. They're aspects of God's good design. They're created by his wisdom, his eternal wisdom. They're put there for his glory, for our good. So learn to love learning about each other. That's what you should do on date nights. Look for the creativity and wisdom of God and how he formed your spouse, how he put her together, how God put your husband together. Learn to appreciate how God continues to use your spouse to shape you, to form you, to help you mature and grow. It's one of the unique joys and challenges of marriage. All right, point one, stop doing marriage like Gentiles. Point two, practice marriage as regenerate Christians. Here's point three, practice marriage as repenting Christians. Paul takes the repentance model that he just gave us in verses 21 to 24, learn the truth of Christ, put off the old self, mortify sin, be renewed in the mind and put on the righteousness and holiness of the new self in Christ. Take that pattern from those previous verses and then apply it in your life. Put it to work in your marriage. That's what follows in verses 25 to 32. Five common areas of sin. Five common areas to work out repentance in for all Christians. And these common areas of sin and repentance, believe me, they show up in marital life, show up in non-married life too. So this is for everyone. But in each of these five areas, these basic areas of repentance, you'll see the pattern of verses 22 to 24, what to put off, what to put on, and the biblical reason why. The reason for putting off and putting on indicates a renewed mind that's found in the biblical reason and the right motivation for repentance. Okay, so first, bit of counsel here for husbands and wives is in verse 25, be truthful with one another. Be truthful with one another. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be truthful with one another. Doesn't mean just don't tell lies to each other, even though that's certainly true. There's a definite article in the language here that talks about the lie, the lie, put off, put away the lie, put off the lie and let each one of you speak the truth. What is the lie that he's talking about? It's that Gentile way of thinking in verses 17 to 19. It's putting off the thinking of the old self that it says in verse 22, put that off, put it away. That is a lie. We have to stop speaking with one another according to that old way. 
Stop thinking according to that old mentality. There is nothing in the old self that's going to help us forward in the life of the new self. So don't give that old self garbage any place in your conversation. Don't talk about it. Don't talk from that perspective. Instead, here's what we need to put on. Speak truth to one another. Truth is the food that feeds the growth of the new life. The biblical reason for putting off the lie, putting on the truth. Speak truth with your neighbor, for we are members of one another. Neighbor love, member love. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. Married folks, your spouse is your closest neighbor. And more than that, you're members of one another. That is to say, members of Christ's body, the church. So your union with Christ is actually your deepest identity. The most primary identity you have in life is not your marriage identity. It's not being a husband, being a wife. It's your union in Christ. It's you as a Christian. So if you are married to a Christian woman, that's what makes you closer than any other marker of identity because that's the one that's going to last for eternity. Men, love your wife as your own body, Ephesians 5, 28. Women, you're one flesh with your husband, belonging to one another. You need to guard how you speak to each other. You need to guard what comes out of your mouth. That means you've got to guard what goes into your mind because it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Guard your heart with all diligence, Proverbs 4, 23, for from it flow the issues of life. Guard what goes in in order that you may guard what comes out. Second bit of counsel for husbands and wives, verses 26, 27, be righteously passionate about godly things. Look what it says there. You're going to scratch your head as you hear that point and then read this verse. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Little footnote here. This does not mean when it says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. It doesn't mean if you're having a conflict, husband and wife, stay up until all hours of the morning to get that thing resolved. Don't do that. The later it gets, the more your brain is not functioning correctly. What this means is deal with your anger quickly, but the issues of difference of opinion and conflict, that can wait till morning. That can wait till next week. Don't argue all night. So take note of the positive command there. And this is why I say this bit of counsel, be righteously passionate about godly things. Take note of the positive command. It says, we are to put on, be angry, be angry. It's not the first advice that comes to our mind when it comes to anger, right? We think of anger as inherently sinful, as something to rid ourselves of. And for good reason, human anger is usually a negative passion that we need to mortify and abandon. For many of our expressions of anger, we do need to repent and rid our lives of what we call frustration or irritation, or I'm bothered. Nah, just call it what it is. That's anger. Ungodly, unrighteous anger is insidious. So we need to put off all unrighteous forms of anger, which typically, don't they, stem from feelings of hurt. When we're hurt, we don't deal with our hurt in a righteous way. Sometimes they come from a desire for control. We want what we want. And when we don't get what we want, well, we want to murder the other person, right? That's what James 4 says. The pattern of our old self is to strike back. It's to sulk. It's to harbor bitterness. It's to stew in our angry juices and keep and rehearse our list of offenses and ready to recite them to one another at a moment's notice. So Paul says we need to deal quickly with all those unrighteous forms of anger. Don't let the sun go down without going to God, confessing sin, asking for forgiveness, and recommitting to repentance of sin. When we don't do that, we give the devil a foothold. We give him a step up and step into our marriages. We don't need that. Deal with your anger quickly. Don't let the sun go down on it. What's the put on aspect here? What's the positive element in this command? Be angry. The command here is about being passionate about what offends God, being passionate about what pleases God. We're to be zealously opposed to the lie of the previous verse. 
zealously opposed to all the things in verses 17 and 19 that can be in us. We're to be zealously opposed to all that because it offends God. In this verse, we're to be angry about the work of the devil, about his insinuation to our marriages. We're to be angry about all that opposes God, all that tempts to stumble, all that tries to lead us into sin, all that tempts, all that leads our spouse into sin. We're to be angry about that. Be angry about what offends God. And if you're angry about that and about those kinds of things, listen, you're going to put the crosshairs first on your own sinfulness. You're going to look at your own heart first, and then you will see clearly to spot the sin in other areas of your life and marriage. Remember what Jesus said? Take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your husband's eye or the speck out of your wife's eye. Listen, be angry means be angry about what offends God. And that starts with your own sin first. Let your own sin anger you and drive you to mortify it and to put on righteousness. Third bit of counsel for husbands and wives, verse 28, be generous with what God provides through your work. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. What's that got to do with marriage? A lot. The home can so easily turn into a place of covetous possession. The money that God gives you through your job can so easily be hoarded, not shared, but hoarded. Food, not shared, but devoured. Rest, not shared, but kept to oneself. That's the same attitude that drives a thief, doesn't it? Heart of covetous desire, heart of greed, self-centeredness. That's why a thief's repentance isn't complete. Only when he stops stealing, only when he gets a job, only when he brings home a paycheck. He can refrain from stealing, get a job, earn an income, and still be ruled by greed, as many of us can be. A thief is no longer a thief when he's motivated, not by a heart of greed, but by a heart of generosity. When he loves to share, when his heart of greed is replaced by a generous heart, eager to give, eager to bless with resources, when he holds nothing tightly with his fingers and grasps onto stuff, when he actually lets go and gives freely, that's when a thief is no longer a thief. That's when a thief has worked out repentance. That's when any of us who have a heart of greed and covetousness, that's when we have worked out repentance. Husbands and wives, I know the curse has made work difficult. It's frustrated us. Men, we still are going to eat our bread through the sweat of our brow. It's difficult. It makes life hard. But work is a pre-fall gift of God. And so our work is a stewardship from God. The income that we get from our work is a stewardship from God. It's for the provision of our families, take care of our God-given responsibilities. But listen, our homes and our incomes are to be shared. Our tables should be an opportunity to show hospitality toward other people. Extra income is an opportunity to give to God's work and to care for those in need. Number four, verse 29, so, so important, this one. Be edifying with your speech. Be edifying with your speech. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Corrupting speech, speech that decays, speech that corrodes. Obviously this prohibits swearing, foul language, dirty jokes at the very least, but more to the point, it refers to the opposite of what we must put on. What we must put on is speech that is good for uplifting, speech that's edifying for building up, not for tearing down. So wives, just practically, you may think your husband is a big, strong guy. He's impervious to pain. Words don't hurt him. Listen, words do hurt. Hurtful words leave a longer impression on the soul than any beating a man has ever endured. 
Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Use your tongue to build up. Wives, a sharp tongue, a critical spirit, that is corrosive. It's cutting. It's eviscerating. Your sharp retort might make you feel good in the moment, but you're undermining the very thing you want most, which is a strong, godly, confident leader. Don't undermine his leadership with your tongue. Husbands, when you criticize your wife, when you make complaints about the dinner, when you make that little joke about her being late all the time and doing too much makeup or whatever it is in the morning, whatever it is that irritates you in the moment that you want to make a little snide remark about or a little joke about, a little criticism, listen, you're crushing your wife's spirit. You're eroding her confidence. You're making her shrink back in insecurity. Isn't righteous? Don't do that. We have to be committed to mortifying the critical spirit. We have to see the anger and the grumbling in our hearts as the most wicked of all sins. Any complaint, any criticism and anger, it's not our spouse that's to blame. It's not anyone else. It's our own sinful hearts that are to blame. Anger, resentful, bitter words corrode and decay and discourage. So much rather put on edifying speech. Amplify the words that build up our spouses, that give strength in the moment, encouragement for real things. Wives, voice respect and encouragement to your husbands. Build them up. Watch how your words strengthen them, lift their shoulders, lift their chins, send them out the door, ready to conquer the world. Do that. Husbands, you voice appreciation for your wife. You adore her, cherish her in the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter five, show tender and voice tender affection for your wife and just watch what God does, how she perks up, how her face lights up. Your words have power. So be truthful, be passionate, be generous, be edifying. And finally, verses 30 to 32, be grateful and gracious. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and all slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Since you are both sealed by the Spirit for the day of redemption, each one of you belongs to God. Marriage is his gift to you. And since it's his gift to you, that husband, that wife is on loan from God to you. Your marriage isn't for your own selfish ends. It's not primarily to fulfill your desires for happiness. It's not for you to realize your fullest potential. Your marriage is a stewardship and your spouse is a gift, God's love to you. Your spouse belongs to God, belongs to God by right of creation. That's his image in him, in her. Your spouse belongs to God by right of redemption as well. It's Christ's blood that washed him, washed her white as snow. It's the spirit who sealed him. It's the spirit who sealed her for the day of redemption. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is the mark of God's ownership on that life. So consider your spouse as a gift of God's grace, a reason to give thanks. Handle your spouse with great kindness, great care. Be gracious with one another and rejoice in your love for each other. All these sins in verse 31, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, all malice, they have no place in the church. And if they have no place in the church, they have no place in Christian marriage. Instead, verse 32, it's kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness. These are the virtues that are practiced among forgiven people. Kindness, tender compassion, and eagerness and a swiftness to forgive each other, not hold on to any offenses. These are vital for two redeemed sinners who live in the covenant of marriage. 
Give thanks for the marriage that God gave you. Don't look around at others, envying what you think they have that you don't. Keep your eyes on your own spouse, on your own marriage. Find contentment and joy in one another. Be content, be grateful with your life, your circumstances, content with your job, content with your finances, content with your marriage, all its unique blessings, all of its unique struggles. You get to do that together. Your marriage is a stewardship for which you're going to give an account. Joy the marriage God gave you. It is a temporary earthly institution, but it is a very precious gift. You'll do that. Enjoy it. When you stop doing marriage like Gentiles, when you practice marriage like Christians, when you practice repentance in your marriage, be truthful, passionate, generous, edifying, be grateful and gracious with one another. And watch how God uses this blessed institution of marriage to shape you in conformity to Jesus Christ. That message certainly gives us plenty to work on. We can ask ourselves, are we truthful? Are we passionate about godly things, generous, edifying in our speech, grateful, content? Our marriages are a gift from God. How are we demonstrating our gratefulness by caring for that gift? Husbands, the best thing you can do as a leader of your family is to make sure you worship together each Sunday. And if you don't have a church, then we'd like to invite you to join us this Sunday here in Greeley at Grace Church. We would love to meet you. Just visit our website, gracegreeley.org, for information. And please send us an email at letters at pillaroftruthradio.com, or you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Pillar of Truth Radio. Thanks for joining us. We encourage you to keep standing up and standing strong, together with all of us, on Pillar of Truth. Mm-hmm.